Welcome to the Primary Care Anywhere podcast, a resident-led medical education podcast created by the University of Utah's internal medicine residents. My name is Rohith. The topic of our discussion today is colorectal cancer screening for the primary care physician. Colorectal cancer is the third most common cancer in men and women. Through professional society guideline-directed screening, surveillance, and treatment, the incidence and mortality rate of the disease have been declining over the past two decades due to early detection and treatment. We thought it would be a good time to review colorectal cancer screening as there may be practice-changing guideline updates coming down the pipelines. Before launching into our segments, I'd like to quickly differentiate between screening and surveillance of colorectal cancer. Screening is performed in individuals who are considered average risk or higher risk due to the presence of family history of colorectal cancer or advanced adenoma, but who themselves have no prior history of colonic polyps, whereas surveillance is performed in individuals who have prior history of adenomas as they are more likely to have recurrence of additional adenomas or colorectal cancer. We'll spend most of our time today speaking of screening. We have four segments again on this topic for you today. I'm excited to have current residents Tess, Evan, Elise, and Greg cover risk factors for colorectal cancer, current screening recommendations for individuals at average risk, various screening tests and intervals, and lastly, screening recommendations for high-risk populations. Before we begin, I'd like to introduce a sample case, which we will come back to at the end. Okay. So you are seeing Ms. S. in your clinic for a routine visit. She is a 49-year-old black female with past medical history of obesity, type 2 diabetes, and current smoking, without family history of colorectal cancer. She presents to clinic for routine healthcare maintenance. She reports that one of her friends recently had a screening colonoscopy during which multiple polyps were removed. She wonders if she needs a colonoscopy as well, and what she can do to reduce her risk of colorectal cancer herself. We'll return to Ms. S later. For now, grab your popcorn as we dive into the polypoid world of colorectal cancer screening. Take it away, guys. Hey everybody, this is Tess and I'm one of the internal medicine interns here at Utah. I'm excited to kick us off with a review of the risk factors leading to colorectal cancer. I think it's easiest to categorize the risk factors generally as being modifiable or non-modifiable. The modifiable risk factors are basically characteristics of loving an unhealthy American lifestyle. They include obesity and its complications, including metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, and type 2 diabetes, as well as cigarette smoking, physical inactivity, and alcohol use. Another important predisposing factor is diet. Eating a diet high in red or processed meats and low in fruits, vegetables, and calcium increases the risk of colon cancer. Next, we can discuss the non-modifiable risk factors, which I find to be slightly less intuitive. While rates of colorectal cancer have traditionally been highest in patients greater than the age of 50, more recent data has suggested that a recent increase in incidence has occurred in those aged between 40 and 50, and a decrease in incidence in the older groups. Nonetheless, colorectal cancer is still uncommon in those under the age of 40. 
In terms of ethnicity, black individuals carry the highest risk of colorectal cancer, followed by American Indians and Alaska Natives. Males are substantially more likely to develop colon cancer and die from colon cancer if they develop it than their female counterparts. Genetics is another important non-modifiable risk factor. Having a first-degree relative with colon cancer doubles the risk of developing colon cancer yourself. There are also multiple inherited syndromes, such as FAP and Lynch syndrome, which increase risk. Finally, a number of medical conditions are associated with an increased risk of colon cancer, including inflammatory bowel disease, especially ulcerative colitis, a personal history of colorectal cancer, and previous abdominal or pelvic radiation. Hi, this is Evan Doherty, one of the internal medicine residents at the University of Utah. I'm going to discuss which patients should be screened or referred for screening for colorectal cancer. With multiple guideline-issuing organizations, this question has become somewhat more nebulous in the past few years. The 2016 guideline from the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force has a grade A recommendation to start screening at 50 years old for average risk individuals. Patients without family histories of colorectal cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, or other risk factors. This has been the traditional age at which to recommend screening. Importantly, grade A and B U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommendations, such as this one, have had their copayment waived as part of Medicare-covered preventative services. Private insurance companies tend to follow this trend, rendering the task force recommendation paramount, unless patients are willing to shoulder the cost of screening. The Multi-Society Task Force of Colorectal Cancer which represents the American College of Gastroenterology, American Gastroenterological Association, and American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, issued their last guideline in 2017. They strongly recommended starting screening at age 50 years. They also give a weak recommendation to begin screening at age 45 for African-American patients. This is based on evidence that African-Americans have lower screening rates, higher incidence rates, earlier mean age of onset, later stage cancers when discovered, and worse survival. This guideline also emphasizes other practices which may increase colorectal cancer identification in the young adult population, including structural examination, such as colonoscopy, for all adults with gastrointestinal bleeding symptoms. The American Cancer Society updated their guidelines in 2018 and strongly recommended beginning screening at age 50. They also expressed a qualified recommendation to begin screening at 45 years old. This was based on a large predictive modeling analysis and cohort epidemiological evidence showing an increase in colorectal cancer incidence in patients less than 50 years old. Other guidelines, including the most recent from the American College of Physicians and the American Association of Family Practitioners, recommend starting screening at age 50. In October 2020, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force released a draft guideline with a grade B recommendation to begin screening at age 45 for all adults. This is based on a modeling study estimating life years gained if screening began at age 45, assuming an increased risk of colorectal cancer in younger cohorts, and trying to account for burdens and harms. 
Recent studies have highlighted a rising incidence of colorectal cancer in individuals younger than 50 in the United States. Although colorectal cancer incidence has continued to decline in those aged 50 years and older, the incidence rates have doubled in 20 to 49 year olds. In March 2021, the American College of Gastroenterology released a guideline with a conditional recommendation concurring with starting screening at age 45. They cite the increased risk of colorectal cancer in more recent birth cohorts with persons born around 1990 having twice the risk of colon cancer and four times the risk of rectal cancer compared with those born around the year 1950. Unlike with deciding when to start screening, there is general consensus between guideline-issuing organizations regarding when to stop screening. All organizations mentioned recommend stopping at age 75 or when life expectancy is thought to be limited to less than 10 years because of other comorbidities. For patients who are healthy enough to tolerate and benefit from potential colorectal cancer treatment, screening can be considered for patients up to 85 years old. Overall, these guidelines summarized the consensus regarding starting screening at age 50 in average risk adults. There is an emerging consensus to start screening at 45 years old. However, patients will likely have to pay out of pocket for this service at this time. Once the U.S. Preventative Services guidelines are finalized, coverage of screening beginning at age 45 will likely follow. Screening should be continued until the age of 75 or until life expectancy is thought to be less than 10 years. Pending patient preferences, screening may be continued until the age of 85. Hi everyone, my name is Elise Brunsgaard and I'm a current PGY-1 at the University of Utah. I am going to be guiding you through the different options that are available to screen your patients for colorectal cancer. There are two main forms of screening, stool-based and direct visualization. We'll start with the stool-based tests. Some of the advantages of the stool-based tests are that they do not require bowel prep and that the patient can easily collect the sample at home. This makes screening more accessible and less intimidating for many patients. However, the tests do require more frequent screening, typically annually. There are three main stool-based screening tests, the fecal immunochemical test, or FIT, the fecal occult blood test, and the stool DNA test. We'll start with the FIT. There is evidence from one large cohort study that showed screening with FIT reduces colorectal cancer mortality. It has also been shown that certain types of FIT have improved accuracy compared with the fecal occult blood test. So we'll move on next to the fecal occult blood test. Similar to the FIT, there are randomized controlled trials that show it reduces colorectal cancer mortality. There are high sensitivity versions that have superior test performance compared with the older forms of the test. However, there are some concerns that it may detect fewer cases of advanced adenomas and colorectal cancer compared with other stool-based tests. The last stool-based test is the stool DNA test. It has been shown to have improved sensitivity compared with FIT. However, the specificity is lower than that of FIT, which results in more false positive results. Unlike the FIT and fecal occult blood test, there is no direct evidence evaluating 
the effect of the stool DNA test on colorectal cancer mortality. Now we'll move on to the direct visualization screening tests. There are three main screening tests available for direct visualization. Colonoscopy, flexible sigmoidoscopy, or CT colonography. All of the direct visualization screening tests have the advantage of requiring less frequent screening. However, the disadvantage is that they require scheduling the procedure or imaging and completing bowel prep the night before. With the procedural screening tests, there is also a risk of bleeding and perforation. We'll start with colonoscopy. The screening frequency recommendation is every 10 years. There is evidence from cohort studies that colonoscopy reduces colorectal cancer mortality. One of the advantages of colonoscopy is that screening and diagnostic follow-up can be completed during the same evaluation. Next, we'll talk about flex sigmoidoscopy. The screening frequency recommendation is every five years. There is evidence from randomized controlled trials that flex sigmoidoscopy reduces colorectal cancer mortality. It also has a lower risk of bleeding and perforation compared to colonoscopy. Flex sigmoidoscopy can also be combined with FIT. This would extend the frequency of screening with flex sig from every five years to every 10 years, plus completing FIT every year. There is evidence from randomized controlled trials that combining flex sigmoidoscopy with FIT reduces colorectal cancer mortality. The combination testing provides similar benefits to colonoscopy with lower risk of complications. However, colonoscopy is often required to follow up abnormal flex sigmoidoscopy or FIT results. The last option for direct visualization is CT colonography. The screening frequency recommendation is every five years. There is evidence that CT colonography has reasonable accuracy when detecting colorectal cancer and adenomas. However, there is no direct evidence evaluating the effect of CT colonography on colorectal cancer mortality. There is also limited evaluation of the potential harm of incidental extracolonic findings. Incidental findings are common, but rarely actually require treatment. So, to sum up this section, when deciding what test is best to screen your patient, you have two main categories to pick from, stool-based and direct visualization. Stool tests are more convenient but require more frequent screening, whereas direct visualization is more involved but has to be completed less frequently. It is important to talk with your patient about their preferences and barriers to screening and to consider their overall risk of colorectal cancer. Those populations for colorectal cancer screening can generally be divided into three groups those with a genetic predisposition, those with a family history, and those with a personal history of polyps. For genetic predispositions, there are two major diseases to be aware of. The first disease is familial adenomatous polyposis, otherwise known as FAP, where the guidelines for colorectal cancer screening are every one to two years starting from the age of 10 to 12, yearly once polyps are found, and eventually, unfortunately, these patients will need colectomy. In Lynch syndrome, which is a syndrome caused by mutations in one or more mismatch repair genes, colonoscopy is recommended at one to two year intervals indefinitely. Some patients have hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer, but have microsatellite stable colorectal cancer, meaning that they do not have Lynch syndrome. In these cases, 
patients may have a family history of colon cancer syndrome X, which has not been genetically defined. People with this family history should undergo colonoscopy at least once every three to five years, beginning 10 years before the age of diagnosis of the youngest affected relative. The next class putting patients at higher risk of colorectal cancer is family history. Now there's a risk gradient that the younger the age of the affected relative, the greater the risk. And this is why the age of 60 has been used as a threshold of risk elevation, so that if a single first-degree relative was diagnosed with colorectal cancer at an age less than 60, there would be a recommendation for both earlier and more frequent screening. Recent population-based studies and risk reviews have backed up this age threshold of 60 years. So therefore, the recommendation is that patients with a family history of colorectal cancer in a first-degree relative diagnosed at less than 60 years of age will undergo colonoscopy every five years beginning either at the age of 40 or 10 years before the age the relative was diagnosed, whichever comes first. Now there's a caveat to this as in patients with a family history of colorectal cancer, the greatest relative risk of getting colorectal cancer is actually at less than 50 years old. Therefore, if the patient has made it to 60 years of age without manifesting significant colorectal neoplasia, they are unlikely to be at increased risk of colorectal cancer and can be offered the option of expanding the interval between examinations to a person who has an average risk of colorectal cancer. Now, the third reason that someone could be at a higher risk of colorectal cancer is a personal history of polyps. Now, polyps can be divided into two general categories, adenomas and serrated lesions. Adenomas are the precursors for about 70% of all colorectal cancers. And adenomas are usually commented on by a pathologist who will describe the degree of dysplasia and also histological features, like whether it's villus or tubular. Size is also a major contributing factor, as recent studies have shown lower prevalence rates of cancer in polyps less than 10 millimeters in size. An important clinical concept to wrap all this up is the concept of an advanced adenoma, which is defined as a lesion greater than 10 millimeters in size or having high-grade dysplasia or villus elements. The characteristics that make up an advanced adenoma will help us understand the guidelines for follow-up screening colonoscopies in these higher-risk patients. Now, patients with greater than 10 adenomas should get follow-up screening in one year with consideration for some genetic predisposition. Any of the advanced adenoma characteristics, such as greater than 10 millimeters, high-grade dysplasia, or villus elements, will require a three-year follow-up. Additionally, if there are three to 10 tubular adenomas, a three-year follow-up is also required. Patients with one to two tubular adenomas will require a five to 10-year follow-up. Serrated colorectal lesions make up the other 30% of colorectal cancers. Within the serrated class, there are hyperplastic polyps that are not currently considered precancerous and sessile serrated polyps which are considered precancerous. This framework will help us understand the follow-up colonoscopy guidelines for serrated lesions. As hyperplastic polyps are not generally considered to be precancerous, patients with these lesions will be put in a regular follow-up category of 10 years, unless lesions are over 10 millimeters. As with adenomas, lesions over 10 millimeters or with high-grade dysplasia will require a three-year follow-up. Sessile serrated polyps usually require a three to five year follow-up depending on how many polyps there are specifically. Thanks guys. Let's consider the case of Miss S again. She is a 49 year old black female with obesity, type two diabetes, and current smoking, but without family history of colorectal cancer. 
She is both motivated to reduce her risk of colorectal cancer and is interested in discussing whether she qualifies for a colonoscopy. You begin by addressing your patient's risk factors for colorectal cancer. You inform her that obesity, type 2 diabetes, smoking, and black rays are risk factors associated with colorectal cancer. You counsel her to make lifestyle changes such as dietary modifications, exercise, and smoking cessation, as these interventions would address her current modifiable risk factors. You then assess whether Ms. S would fall into a high-risk category or an average-risk category for colorectal cancer. As she does not have any known genetic predisposition to developing colorectal cancer, has no family history of colorectal cancer, nor a previous personal history of polyps, she would be considered at average risk of developing colorectal cancer. You then inform your patient that most current guidelines recommend initiation of screening for colorectal cancer beginning at age 50, although there may soon be changes in guidelines which recommend initiation of screening at age 45. You also inform her that most insurers may not currently reimburse the costs of undergoing colorectal cancer screening in average-risk individuals prior to the age of 50. Based upon your conversation, Ms. S. elects to defer colorectal cancer screening until she turns 50. She is motivated to implement the lifestyle modifications that you discussed with her. You next see Ms. S. for a yearly follow-up. She is now 50 years old. She has lost 15 pounds and has quit smoking. After congratulating her on her hard work, you resume your conversation about colorectal cancer screening. You know that she now qualifies for screening. After a conversation about the types of screening tests available, Ms. S. elects to undergo colonoscopy, which reveals no evidence of colorectal polyps or cancer. Before we part ways, we have four takeaway points for you guys. 1. Consider both modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors when making risk assessments in your patient. Modifiable risk factors are very prevalent in modern society and include both medical comorbidities and lifestyle behaviors. 2. Current United States Preventative Services Task Force guidelines recommend initiation of colorectal cancer screening in individuals at average risk beginning at age 50, but be aware of the emerging evidence and recommendations to begin screening this group starting at age 45. Be mindful of the financial burden of initiating screening at the earlier age, as reimbursement models for screening are often determined by current United States Preventative Services Task Force guidelines. 3. When it comes to the screening tests themselves, you have two options, stool-based test and direct visualization. Each type of screening test has pros and cons that are important to consider when advising your patients. 4. Populations at high risk of developing colorectal cancer are those that have genetic predispositions, family history in a first-degree relative, or a previous personal history of polyps. All right. That's a wrap for today. Thank you for listening to Primary Care Anywhere.